All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. You're going to love this passage. If you found it, why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. Ecclesiastes 12. For those of you that are feeling the effects of aging, this is really going to resonate with you today. I should say, it resonated with me, so I'm assuming it will with you as well. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, we'll start at verse 1, and uh, let's read down to verse 8. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin in verse 1. <clears throat> Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come, and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds, they return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they're few. Those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors, terrors in the way. And the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along. And desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners, they go about in the street. Before the silver cord is snapped and the golden bowl is broken and the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern. And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. We need to pray about that. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word and we trust it. We ask your Spirit to open our hearts and minds to receive it. And we pray that you are honored, that Jesus is honored. We confess we need your help and we ask you to help us today. God, thank you for Hickory Grove. Thank you for men and women that love Jesus and love this church. We pray that you would be pleased in our efforts. And so be honored here. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Man, what a passage. There is not another passage in the entire Bible like this one. Not another one. They give such a vivid and clear and even raw description of the aging process. Remember who wrote this? Here is Solomon as an old man. Solomon, when he, when he was a young man, he wrote the Song of Solomon. He became a middle-aged man, giving advice to his children, Proverbs. And now as an older man, looking back on life, we hear the final words of advice from Solomon. Here, in this passage, we have the longest treatment of our own mortality in a beautiful sequence of word pictures. Made me think of one of the, uh, one of the most famous blues men, blues singers in the late 20th century. You might know him as B.B. King. He had several very popular songs. Uh, he had a guitar named Lucille. That's when you know you're a really good guitar player. You name your guitar. He had songs like uh, Change and Things and Sweet Sixteen and The Thrill is Gone. He had other lesser known songs. One uh, song he had was entitled 
No one loves me but my mother, and she could be jiving too. <laughs> when I read this passage, I thought about one of his songs that he entitled, Going Down Slow. Because in this passage, there's this picture of us, human beings, men and women, going down slow. The description is of this uh, downward decaying life that, that results in the finality of death. I mean, we know it. We feel it. We, we, we fight. <laughs> we fight the aging process. Try to exercise enough and try to, try to eat right. A lot of you do. Last night I had nine sausage balls for supper. <laughs> Has there ever been a more per perfect food than a sausage ball? You have... Meat, cheese, and bread, the three major food groups, all in one. Eat it, and there you go. We try to eat right and try to exercise, and you might even try Botox or Detox or Rebox or whatever you're trying. And yet, as hard as we fight, the aging process continues. And the preacher in this passage is saying, it's good for you to take care of yourself, it's good, but you're wasting your time if you think you can stop it. Here, here is the lot of every human that's ever been born. That we are going to die. So in, instead of fighting that or instead of pretending like that's not going to happen, here's what the preacher suggests here. He's suggesting that we should joyfully surrender to the good grace of God early on in life going to talk to young people is what he says. We should joyfully surrender early on in life so that you might be able to rejoice in all of life. Let me give you a thematic statement. This is what I'll say about it. I, I wish it were shorter, but this is as close as I could get. Every stage of life, this is a broad application, every stage of life is a gift from God. Use your stage wisely. Let, let's start where, uh, let's start where the preacher starts. You'll find him there in verse one, number one, that is to love God. Here's the command, love God in the prime of life, the prime of life. You'll see him there in verse one. Once again, the preacher addresses men and women that are young, but he, I think, expands the prime of life, not just in your teens or twenties, I think he expands it. Let me show you why I think that. In verse 1, the preacher says, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. And then he defines what is not youth. Before evil days come, which you say, I have no pleasure. In other words, to the very end. So let's say young adulthood or emerging into adulthood, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, up to the time where you're done with work and maybe even enjoying retirement. Uh, right before you really can't go anymore. Let's take that wide berth and make that the prime of life. Now with that in mind, let's go back to the passage and look at the command. Let's just take, I'm going to spend some time in verse 1 and then we'll go to verses 2 through 6. But in verse 1, there are several words I want to pay attention to. And the first one is remember. Verse 1 he says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Remember. 
That word remember, in, grammatically, in the Hebrew, it is, a, it is a command. It has a real sense of urgency. It's taking something that was in the past, bringing it forward, and letting that be your guiding principle. Your guiding principle, remember. Remember in your youth, that is to say, establish the direction of your life, do it early in life, and, and maybe change it if you need to. Possibly you've been the wrong direction, you need to change it. To remember. To remember means to, to drop the pretense of self-sufficiency. To commit yourself to the goodness of God found in Jesus. Remember. To remember your Creator is to have this intensity, this, 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 this passionate faithfulness of fidelity, this loyalty. The, the psalmist said, let my tongue cling to my mouth if I don't remember. To remember your Creator. To remember is you trusting God when it's terrible. Remember. Remember is you obeying God when it's hard. Remember. Remember is you, it's you walking with God when nobody else will join you and yet you continue to walk. To remember your Creator. Remember God. To, that means loving God. That means loving God when you're hurting and lonely and you have questions that are not being answered. Remember your Creator. Remember. To remember God is, is thanking God. Thanking Him even when what you're going through doesn't seem fair at all. Remember. He tells us why right there, in, it's embedded right there in verse 1. Here's what he says. You'll see it. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. That word creator, I would circle that. Solomon was a smart guy, wise in every way. He gets to, to be an old man. He has a wide, vast vocabulary. He was aware of all the words that he could use to call God. He could have said Yahweh, could have said El Shaddai, could have said Adonai. He could have used the word El, just a broad sense. But no, he reached over into the Hebrew dictionary and he pulled out this word creator. And he says, remember your creator. He's reminding us in this passage, something that we need to be reminded of is God's absolute prerogative to do with us Whatever he wants to do. It's a reminder, and it's something we should be reminded of periodically, that he is the potter and, and we are the clay. And the potter makes the decisions and molds the clay any way he wants to. Isn't that, I mean, isn't, we, we dealt with it in Romans. Isn't that what Paul said in Romans chapter 9, verse 20 and 21? Paul says it like this, Who are you? But who are you, old man, to question or answer back to God? Will what is molded say to the molder, Why did you make me like this? Has the potter have, does the potter have no right over the clay to make out of the same lump something for honorable use and another for, for dishonorable use? Well, what you have here, and this just embedded in this passage, 
is the great reminder of the wonderful joy of surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus. Putting your faith in Jesus, trusting your life to Jesus, coming to the cross of Jesus and giving yourself over to Jesus. This is what happens when, when you believe in the perfect life, the atoning death, and the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, the way Paul describes it, I mentioned Romans. We, several years ago, went through the book of Ephesians. And Ephesians chapter 2, you, you know that great passage of Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. That's the one we use if we're witnessing. We talk about being saved by grace through faith and that not of work so that nobody will boast. And then after he describes being saved by grace, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul talks about us being recreated. Use the same language. Paul says we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. I'm asking you to, to remember your creator, to, to find great contentment in Christ regardless of where you find yourself. If you can muster that, if you can find your contentment in Jesus, you can actually walk through anything with joy. One of the great preachers of our day is a man named Tommy Nelson. He is a pastor of Denton Bible Church and he actually has been to Hickory Grove years ago. Uh, he wrote a commentary, preached a series of sermon, sermons in Ecclesiastes, wrote a commentary on Ecclesiastes. And his application I thought was really good on this passage right here. Tommy Nelson says that uh, you read that and you're reminded you should strive to live a godly life. Get up every morning, spend time with God, read the Bible through every year, go on mission trips, invest in your church, love your family, get to know your neighbors, share the gospel with your neighbors, pick up two or three or four Christian classics and Read three or four of them every year. In other words, love God in the prime of life. The prime of life. There, there's some of you here that could mention and say, you should do that because the prime of life goes so quickly. Which brings me to the second point. Let's talk about decline. If you are to love God in the prime of life, here's the second point, number two. You should enjoy God in the sunset of life. The sunset. When the sun is going down on your life. Now, I'd like, you to, I'd like to take you to the poem. There's a poem there in uh, verses 2 through 6. Here's the longest treatment. <clears throat> You're wondering, where am I going with this? Well... By the way, when I preach this, remember, I didn't write it. I'm just telling you what it said. There's a poem there, and it's the, longest trend, it's the longest treatment of the physical decay of the human body in the entire Bible. It's a reminder that what you are experiencing is by design. That the breakdown is designed. That, that every ache that you have, and we got them, every ache that you have is a tap on the shoulder that says, today if you hear his voice, 
Do not harden your heart. Let's go to the imagery in verse 2. Let's read it. Look at all the light givers in verse 2. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. This is the evil time. Remember your creator in the days of your, in the days of your youth before we get here. When the sun and the moon, the light and the stars, when they're gone, all the things that bring light into your life. A lot of you here, you've had friends go, children move off. Then he compounds it. All those things are gone. And he says, and, and the clouds, see it in verse 2, the clouds come back after the rain. You know, when you're young and you have a, a terrible bad day, a rainy day comes, there's always hope. Well, one bad day, it's going to be gone soon. The sun will come back out tomorrow, what the song said. When you're young, you always have the hope that the sky is going to clear up, that there's going to be a better day. And here's what the preacher's saying. When you get, you get near the end of life, there, there comes a time, and it's hard to adjust to it, but there comes a time when you start knowing that you're in the final stretch here and there actually is not going to be any real improvement. That, that you're not going to get better. That when the rainstorm comes, it's not going to be a sunny day tomorrow. It's actually going to be another cloudy day. That it's not going to be good. That, um, you know, we'll oftentimes say that time heals all wounds. Where there comes a point in life where time is not healing wounds, time actually becomes the killer. Aren't you glad you came to church today? You feel lifted up and encouraged? Well, it's going to get better here. Let's go to verses 3 and 4. Look how the picture changes. So it gives us metaphors in verse 2. And then in verses 3 and 4 and 5... It's the picture of a grand old house that's slowly decaying. It's not the sun, the moon, the stars, and the light. It's not nightfall. It's not a storm. It's not the winter. It's a house in decline. Now, some would say that it's best to take verse uh, 3, 4, and 5, read it, and make one application just that your body is in decay. And I think that's a fine way to do it. But I'd like for us just to go through. I want to just point out what each line says so that you can get a feel. Let's go through each part in verse 3. Let's start there. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble. Keepers of the house, your, your hands and your arms. If you're, a, if you're a man, there's something in a good handshake and trying to, to strengthen your arms. It feels right, those that provide and protect. And there's, there's part of that. Your woman to be healthy and to have dexterity. And the preacher says, there comes a day when, when the, the tremor set in. Regardless of what you do, you, your, your strength will fade. Your, your, your skin will get thin. You bump into something and bleed. And there'll be so many things that you used to could do and were even good at, you can't, you can't do anymore. Then, then he says in verse Three, not only the keepers of the house trembling, but notice that the strong men <clears throat> are bent. Your back and your legs, that which holds you upright. You should be able to work and run for hours, lift. Not anymore. The strongest man that I uh, 
I think I may have ever known was Connie's granddaddy. I, I knew him when he was an older man. But there are all these pictures of him as a young, strong farmer making his way in southwest Mississippi and had the biggest hands. But when I knew him, his back and legs were fading and he just could barely shuffle along. The strong men are bent and the keepers of the house tremble. Then, then it gets worse. The, the grinders, verse 3, the grinders cease because they are few. That is to say, your teeth are falling out. You, you, you didn't get the benefit of fluoride in the water early enough. I mean, thank God for dentists. We have dentists that, um, man, they can put them back in there some kind of way. One day I'm going to get a gold tooth, I think, um, from the dentist. But your teeth are coming out and the grinders are few. It's a terrible thing. So, so far you can't walk, you can't use your hands anymore, and your teeth have fallen out. Go back, go down with me in verse 3. Those who look through the windows are dimmed. Your eyes get to where you can't extend it out far enough. And you have reader glasses all over the house, and some of them on your head, and you're looking for the reader glasses, you got them on your head, and you, you get like what I got here, a trifocal or a um, lens that change, gives you vertigo when you first get them. And the preacher says, that's a natural part of aging. You, you can't walk good. You can't use your hands. You've got no strength. Your teeth have fallen out. You can't see anything. It gets worse in verse 4. The preacher says, then the doors, the doors on the street are shut. You can't, you can't hear. I call you on the phone, and you can't understand what I'm saying. And I'm a loud person. So i got to shout in such a way that everybody on the hallway knows I'm talking to you. Used to my second church at Thompson Baptist Church. Um, if you were the oldest deacon at Thompson Baptist Church, uh, you were called deacon. That was your name, deacon, and you'd be called Deke for short. And oftentimes I'd be preaching, and Mr. Wells, deacon, his hearing aid wouldn't be adjusted right, and would start whistling while I'm preaching. <laughs> and I'd say, Deke, you turn it down, Deke, and he'd reach up and turn his hearing, hearing aid down. So you can't hear, you can't see, your teeth are falling out, you can't walk, hands don't work. Verse 4, the sound of grinding is low. That is to say, you can only have soft food. Now you're living on insure. <laughs> keep looking, keep looking, verse 4. The one rises up at the sound of a bird. The irony of this is that you, you really don't hear well, but the slightest noise wakes you up early and you're getting up earlier and earlier in the morning, maybe two or three times at night you're getting up. The daughters of song are brought low, that, that great timber in your voice now is getting raspy. Verse 5, it, verse five it says they, they're afraid of heights. Your, your balance is gone. You, you, you shouldn't climb a ladder anymore. You don't need to. You think you should get up on the roof and clean the gutters. You don't need to do that. Pay somebody to do that. The, the balance is gone. And he says there, there are terrors in the way. That, that is, should say there are terrors in the road. One of the most dangerous things as we age is the fall. is falling. An, an uneven piece of pavement. You go down and, and a broken hip. That there's danger just walking. There are terrors in the way. And then he says in verse 5, And the almond tree blossoms. That is to say your hair starts to turn gray and then it turns 
white and then it turns loose. I didn't, look, I didn't write this. This is right here. And then he says the grasshopper, the grasshopper drags, drags himself along. That grasshopper that used to hop so elegantly. Now, if you've ever seen one walk, it's like a, it's like a tin man. The joints are... And it's funny that Solomon would save this one for the last. He said, and desire fails. And I thought about the best way to explain this. <laughs> Yours might say the Capraberry plant um, desire. So, so Solomon had all those women, concubines and wives, that threw him off course pretty good. All those women, but at this point in his life, he would just rather watch Jeopardy or take a nap. <laughs> and it, you'll notice how he's listed all these terrible things that happened. His teeth have fallen out. They don't have, can't see, can't hear, can't walk. Nothing. They don't want to be on a ladder. Finally, I'd rather watch Jeopardy. And at the very end of that, notice that he says... And now it's time for man to go to his eternal home. There are mourners in the street. Start planning. I'm, I'm 50 years old. I didn't plan my funeral. You get to the point, you start planning your funeral. And, and Solomon goes through this slowly to show us <clears throat> all of this is here for a reason. That God is providentially reminding us, you need to, you're not going to live forever. You need to put your faith in the one who lived perfectly, died in the place of sinners on the cross. God raised him from the dead. We're reminded that every single one of these stages is a gift from God. And we are to use that wisely when you're young and you're primed to, to remember the Lord, to remember your creator in the days of your youth. And then as, as you feel the decline, it's good for you not to resent that, but to in, enjoy the goodness of God even as you experience some of the sunset of life. With that in mind, I'd like to put a sort of an umbrella over the top of this with the third point. And that is we are to know, we are to know God in all of life. Let me show you where I get that. That's down in verses 6, 7, and 8. You'll notice if you'll, if you'll come down the page with me to verse 8. Verse 8 is really the end of all of his writings. After this, verse 9 and following becomes an editorial, and we'll, we'll look at that next week. But, but here's where he stops. And if you've been following along since uh, January, verse 8 sounds exactly like how he started. See what he says there? Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. And here's what he's saying. Everything under the sun, I've been trying to tell you that all of these pursuits, all of these things you think are important, they don't amount to anything. Your, your faith and your hope, is, it must be beyond the sun. Everything else is vanity. Now, now come back up the page. Back up with me to verse 6. Notice in verse 6 that uh, he gives us a picture of the final act of dying. He does it with four expressions. That um, Those four expressions in verse 6 show the irreversible nature of death. 
and, and also, I think, show the value of humans. Look, look at them with me in verse 6. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken. Some people think that it's a picture of a silver cord holding a golden bowl and the cord breaks and the bowl drops and shatters. That could be it. Or it could be just showing us the value of silver and gold. It could show us that once that golden bowl is broken, it's, irrepar it's irreparable damage. It can't be fixed. Or after that metaphor, he puts that aside and takes us over to the well. You see it in verse 6? Verse 6, he says, um, Before the silver cord is snapped, the golden bowl is broken, or the, the pitcher, go with me to the well, the pitcher at the fountain, well, the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel is broken at the cistern. So the pitcher would be the bucket that goes down into the water. If it's broken, the well's no good. That's not bad enough. Then the wheel that has the rope that lowers it down, if the wheel's broken, then you still can't get the water. And, and here's what you have, is this picture of the finality. The, the value of humans, the, the, the dignity, gold and silver, but once death comes, it's over. And then in verse 7, he, he, in verse 7, the preacher puts a fine point on it. He uses the word dust. And for those of you that have read the Bible, it ought to make you think about Genesis. This, dial in now. This is where the gospel shows up. Verse 7, this is what he says. And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. The dust returns to the earth. You know what that takes us? That, that takes us back to creation, especially in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when we see the creation of man. This is what Moses tells us, that the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, and He breathed into His nostrils the breath of life, and He became a living being. God created us in His image. That word dust shows up again in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, after Adam and Eve have sinned, and that sin has created a separation and shows the curse, the curse that we live under. The Lord says it like this in Genesis 3, 19. Here's sin's curse. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground for out of it you were taken, for you are dust. That is to say that although we are created in God's image and He breathed into us life, that image has, has been disfigured because of sin so that we are not now far away from God. That's, a, that's not a good way to think of it. We actually now are dead in sin. Sin has so separated us from God that we live under this curse, dust. That word dust shows up again in, in the Psalms. And, and dust also reminds us of the astonishing grace of God found in Jesus. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 103, verse 14. The psalmist says that God knows our frame. He remembers we are dust. 
and as dust we can't save ourselves. We need a Savior. And grace is this. God so loved dust that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. The call is remember your Creator now. Enjoy your Creator throughout. Know your Creator in life. And you do that through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you join me as we pray together? With your heads bowed this morning, let's go to the Lord for a moment of prayer. I would like to invite you, as you sit here, just listen as we pray. If you sense that you are not only far from God, but you are in sin, and you need God today, you should hear that God has given us salvation in Jesus, who lived perfectly died on the cross in the place of sinners. God raised him from the dead. And any sinner, that's any of you, that turns and believes can be saved. That, that's an encouragement for you if you're, if you're not sure if you're in Christ. The vast majority of you Christians, you should take Ecclesiastes 12 and be comforted. Take some contentment in the stage where God has you and learn to enjoy the goodness of God. Father, thank you for the grace you give us in Jesus. God, thank you for the stage of life you put us in. We ask that you would help us, that by grace you will find us faithful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.